재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 It is time for David's Bookmark with David Tizard. David is an assistant professor at Seoul Women's University and is completing the research for his PhD in Korean studies at Hanyang University. Good morning, David. Bon matin, mademoiselle. Merci beaucoup. Do you actually speak French or is that the only phrase that you know? I do speak a little bit of French. I've sadly found that my French linguistic ability has disappeared in correlation with the increase of my Korean ability. I think I only have the mental capacity for one extra language. Okay. Uh, is there anything you would like to say for our French listeners out there? Hold on tight, because we're going to do a writer. You were expecting me to speak French then, weren't you? <laughs> uh, I'm from Dover in England, which is about 30 kilometers, 20 miles from France. So oh, from where I grew up okay. and where I live, we see France. You know, okay. it's, it's right there. Do you hear them? Yes. Okay, yeah. excellent. Yeah. So this week's book is The Possibility of an Island by Michel Houellebecq. Michel Houellebecq, yes. Houellebecq. That, that's very good pronunciation. It's not spelt like that. Um, just in case you want to Google any uh, or type anything into your search engines while uh-huh. you're listening to this, H-O-U-E-L-L-E-B-E-C-Q. Yes, there's that Q at the end. There's Don't that, forget the Q. There's that Q at the end, yeah. So that's who we're looking at today, Michel Houellebecq and mm-hmm. La Possibilité d'une île, The Possibility <laughs> of an Island. Mm-hmm. Now, So why this book and why this week? We've done a bit of a European tour recently, have mm-hmm. we not? Yes, we, we've, we've been to uh, Germany and then Norway. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. We did um, Goethe, we did Ibsen, we also did Stefan Zweig. Mm-hmm. So we're really doing this European tour and it felt so right to go to France at the moment and uh, just see what French literature we can bring. Mm-hmm. I did hear actually some of the morning crew on TBS doing French tongue twisters oh, during really? the week. Yes. Okay. Were I, they impressive? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was interesting to hear, so we're keeping in line with that. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the hook of this book, if you will. Like, what is the thing that will grab us right away? Well, Welbeck, as you probably imagined or already heard, he has a name that half the literary world cannot pronounce, and he also has ideas that half the literary world absolutely hates. Okay. He is the enfant terrible of literature. Mm-hmm. And we have this thing in England called Marmite. Are you familiar with Marmite? No, what is that? Marmite is a vegetable extract that you spread on toast or bread. Okay. You know how you might have honey or jam or a preserve. We have mm-hmm. Marmite. And its slogan, advertising slogan is, you either love it or you hate it. Okay. Okay. And that's the the advertising slogan for Welbeck. That's it, because he really polarizes opinion and he drives people right down the line in how they feel about him. Mm -hmm. And he's written on a whole manner of topics, including Islam, including misogyny, including sex and nihilism, the modern world. In 2005, he released the book called The Possibility of an Island. Mm -hmm. And this book touches on the life of a successful comedian and his encounter with a religious cult. Now that seems rather topical Uh for this day and age if you've been Uh following the media. Uh Yeah. And the protagonist, Daniel, has suffered from uh, a great depression, a feeling of ennui. That's usually what leads one person to, to a religious cult. 
depression, yeah, despondency with the world, helplessness, helplessness, yeah,、mm-hmm. and you look for a, a greater、mm-hmm. power, right? And this comedian Daniel, he he's a comedian you can see Welbeck in him completely because he relies on shock factor in his work. He's become the biggest selling French comedian and writer, and he's done so by saying the things that you're not allowed to say. Mm-hmm. By being vulgar, by being offensive, by rallying against political correctness,、mm-hmm. and from that, he has earned fame. So, why does he seek out a cult? Because he is—he's become a victim, or he's trying to work against the objectification of culture. Mm-hmm. This celebrity status, and this is something that Welbeck and his characters really rally against.、Mm-hmm. For example, we have people like、uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, and we are given those people, held them up on pedestals.、Mm-hmm. And for Welbeck and his character Daniel, they are simply objects that are given to us. They are empty. And the more we see them as objects and less as real people, the more we realise that there's not really much in life to grab onto.、Mm-hmm. When everything—the celebrity, the fame, the sex, the the power—all becomes merely an object, then you go away from the objects.、Mm-hmm. And of all the religious cults that he could have chosen, he chose this particular one. Why? What is so special about this?、Cult? Well. It's a cult that resembles the real-world Raelian cult, and this cult believes in cloning. 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 Okay. So,、yeah. so there's science involved. Yeah, in there is. This is Welbeck's, and I'm a little bit scared of saying this word. Science fiction novel. Okay. <laughs> Because as soon as I say that,、uh-huh. some listeners out there, your ears will have perked up and gone, "Oh yeah, I like that," <laughs> and others will have. Taken a deep sip of your coffee and said, "Oh no, I'm not reading this."、Mm-hmm. Science fiction is not the main element of this book, but there is cloning involved.、Mm-hmm. And, and how does cloning factor into this book? How does cloning factor into this book? The book has three protagonists: Daniel one, and two future Daniels,、okay. because the protagonist is cloned. And the book is told through the perspective of the three Daniels throughout human history. So Daniel one is sort of patient zero. Okay. And this is the comedian, the shock factor comedian.、Mm-hmm. He is cloned. His memories, his genetics are all carried forward for about two thousand years. Wait, did you just say his memories and his genetic material? Yeah. So. The Daniels that come after the patient zero Daniel,、yeah. they all have memories of what happened in the previous lives of other Daniels. And、oh、not goodness, only do they、maddening. have that, they look back at it and they're gobsmacked by the the life that these people lived. Okay. Because they have the memories of it, they have the recollections, and not only do they have those, they evaluate them from their future perspective. Mm-hmm. It's almost akin to your thirty-year-old self talking to your fifteen-year-old self, but over a grander period of time.、Mm-hmm. Mm. And I, I find that really interesting. Tell us about the basic premise of this book. So you said that there's three cloned narrators of、yeah. the same person. There's、yeah. Daniel one. Yep. In our time, and then there's、um, a thousand years later. There's Daniel twenty-five. Yep. I can't do the math in my head, but what would? Okay, all right. I'm not even going to try to <laughs>、yeah. figure out the average life expectancy of、right. a Daniel, but of a, of a French communist. <laughs> Don't try to. It won't be very long. They're chain smoking too much.、Mm-hmm. Um, but 
as it gets further and further into the future, we miss out a lot of the Daniels, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I've been very careful not to give away the plots of too many of the books on this show, but I think what's really important in this one is that something is missing from the future societies that is an inherent part of our world today. Mm -hmm. Something slowly disappears as this Western world that we have. Mm -hmm. And that is addressed in the book. And that is addressed in the book. So if you're listening to this or even now, Jamie, as our world continues, what are we likely to lose or or what is likely to slowly decrease with the passing of time? Well, the only thing I can think of right now is the polar ice caps. That's very very physical and geographical. (laughs) And yeah, that's very good. I watched a documentary with Leonardo DiCaprio in the other day. Have you seen that? No, I didn't know that he did documentaries. Before the flood, he's the UN uh, man to solve. Uh Uh-huh global warming okay it's very good um the ice caps might disappear yes i I was thinking a little bit more abstract Hmm. Hmm. i don't know can you just give me the answer no read the book (laughs) (laughs) and all of you out there read the book as well and it's one of those things where when you think to the future a thousand years or two thousand years in the future do you imagine a utopia or a dystopia well, I don't know. I think it's just going to be the same as it is now. Wow. Do you think the world a thousand years prior was the same as today? Uh, I think we are prone to... I, don't, I have a very um, myth of Sisyphus perspective mm-hmm. on life. So I think that we, as a species, yeah. is inclined to repeat the same mistakes over again and again and again and you know, live out the same plots over again and again. Yeah. And the myth of... Sisyphus, that was uh, one of Camus' great works. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that Welbeck is so steeped in this French tradition of not only absurdism, but nihilism and really raging against political correctness. Right. Yeah. So cloning is the hook that will grab our attention when we first read this book. But what is the selling point of this book that is going to keep us reading? Well, you're going to have Welbeck's trademark style, which is criticized and praised in equal amounts. You're going to get a lot of what some people would call pornography. So if you're Mm -hmm. of a sensitive nature, Mm -hmm. Welbeck's material might be a little bit close to the bone for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, To others, it might titillate you and uh, excite (laughs) you as you read on. (laughs) Because, you know, romantic comedies and such forth. And also the language. Um, such shocking words. The first time I read Welbeck, and I've read a few of his books now, I couldn't believe what I was reading at times. I was taken aback by the words coming off the page because you read things that you're not meant to read. Are you meant to hear them? Or or were you just shocked that this was in print? I was kind of shocked that this was in print. Okay. And that's a good thing because you take these things such as, it could be anything, it could be Islam, it could be homosexuality, it could Mm -hmm. be feminism, misogyny, Mm -hmm. prostitution, it could be racism. Welbeck picks up these ideas Mm -hmm. and he beats you around the face with it. Okay. He, I think he doesn't allude to anything. He doesn't use a metaphor. He doesn't balance and show you both sides. He'll pick up this controversial concept mm-hmm. and smack you with it. And he'll keep doing that until you're left either breathless and wanting more <laughs> or absolutely offended and determined never to pick up his book again. Okay. I think that this will be a good time for us to 
get an excerpt from this book. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that this is public radio and there are possibly children listening. I've, I choose my excerpts carefully, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have a little faith in me. Um, I'll, I'll read a little bit. This is one of the first introductions to Daniel One, the comedian living in our time that we see. Today, it's almost impossible for me to remember why I married my first wife. If I was to come across her in the street... I don't even think I'd be able to recognize her. You forget certain things. You forget them totally. It is wrong to suppose that all things are stored in the sanctuary of memory. Certain events, the majority of them even, are well and truly erased. There remains no trace of them, and it is absolutely as if they had never happened. To return to my wife, or rather my first wife, we undoubtedly lived together for two or three years. When she became pregnant, I ditched her almost immediately. I was having no success at the time, and she received only a miserable alimony. On the day of my son's suicide, I made a tomato omelette. A living dog is worth more than a dead lion, as Ecclesiastes rightly says. And I never loved that child. He was as stupid as his mother, and as nasty as his father. His death was far from a catastrophe. You can live without such human beings. After my first show, ten years passed, punctuated by short and unsatisfying affairs before I met Isabel. I was then 39 and she 37. I was already something of a celebrity. When I earned my first million euros, I mean when I had really earned them after tax and placed them in a safe haven, I realised that I was not a Balzacian character. A Balzacian character who has just earned his first million euros would, in most cases, figure out a way to reach the second with the exception of those few people who will immediately begin to dream of the moment when they can count them in tens. For my part, I wondered above all whether I could bring my career to a halt before concluding no. I don't know if the word I'm looking for is honest or shameless, but I can yeah. see what you mean by, yeah. by you cannot believe that you are reading reading these things, right. these thoughts in a book, there in is, print. There is a concept uh, that was brought to fame by Edgar Allan Poe, the writer, called The Imp of the Perverse, uh-huh. which talks of these sometimes out-of-nowhere thoughts that enter our mind. You know, mm-hmm. these thoughts where we're on a packed subway at a wedding hall or something, and this crazy thought comes into our mind, and, and, and we push it away. Uh-huh. Yeah, but He th- writes it down. He ri- oh, my goodness. That's only what he's okay. thinking. Uh-huh. That one line, on the day of my son's suicide, I made a tomato omelette. Yeah, that's really... Um, and then the next line where he compares um, his son, a living dog... Is worth more than a dead lion. Yes, my goodness. This is really sort of... You can feel... I get in trouble for saying this. You can feel the Frenchness dripping through <laughs> it, can't you? You can see the, the cafe which uh, Welbeck might be sitting in. Uh-huh. as he does this. Very interestingly, we, we talked about how Zweig had to move around as he travelled, how Ibsen did the same thing. Um, Welbeck left France as well. These Where did gra- he go? He went to Ireland, of all places. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which is still Catholic, I guess, but it's really interesting to me, the more I look into the backstory of these writers, how they've often fled their hometown or their home mm-hmm. country in search mm-hmm. of something. Mm. Mm. Well, let's hear what some critics have to say about his very brutal honesty and what he himself has to say in response. Let's listen to a clip. You're often seen as a polemicist as well. Is that part of your arsenal? Not really, because a polemicist is someone who attacks, whereas I only defend myself. I am constantly on the defensive. 
Bon, c'est vrai que je suis insolent. It's true that I'm insolent, but that said, it's more an absence of respect, really. Just interpret it as insolence. It's almost as though he's read the manual about what he has to put in a novel to get literary critics talking about him. French philosopher Georges Bataille once said that literature is necessarily evil. And one could say that uh, Welbeck deals with what is obscene, those truths that can't be talked about. He's basically a sixth former's idea of a French intellectual. In other words, he's always spouting philosophy and he sleeps with a lot of women, or at least his characters do. A lot of academic critics have got a problem with Welbeck because they think his work is kind of formless, unformed, and there's a lot of speechifying, there's long, you know, three pages on race, three pages on immigration, and it doesn't look like good art. Well, maybe it isn't good art. Welbeck comes from punk rock in this, you know, rather than high textual theory. But like Zola, again, like, like Balzac, again, like this 19th century novel, It's stuff that has an impact on readers rather than academic critics, and I think that's the importance. Well, I like that point where uh, one of the critics said basically that he's doing this this thing. He's being incendiary for the sake of publicity. Mm. But there's definitely another layer to that, like in the in the line that you quoted mm-hmm. earlier, on the day of my son's suicide, I made a tomato omelette. Yeah. Let's talk about Welbeck and his nihilistic bend. His nihilistic bend. Um, he he does rage against the political correctness. Welbeck, as a melancholy atheist, as a punk rock writer, as was described there, as an anarchist, perhaps, in the sense that he wants to destroy institutions that don't justify themselves, sees in this world not much worth keeping. Mm-hmm. He sees things as rather meaningless. He's seen this objectification and this sexualization of all aspects of our life and how everything resultantly has lost its meaning mm-hmm. and I, I mentioned punk rock there and that's something that obviously we see a lot in music these days we see a lot of it in advertisements we've seen a lot of it in the american political election where everything generally comes down to and this is welbeck's point so I, i'm sorry for laboring it but comes down to the sexualization of topics mm, right right So he's saying that all is meaningless, but isn't that an overly simplistic view? <laughs> it's um, it is. It's a view, but it's it's not a view that we hear often enough, and that's mm. why I think this is really important because it's important to hear the other voice. It's important to accept the presence of the other side, mm-hmm. even if you don't accept the content. You've got to accept that there are other people that think in certain ways, and mm-hmm. we have too many echo chambers. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, listening to the other side, where does the title come from? Mm, the title comes from a poem in the book, and Welbeck is also a poet. So, shall I briefly read the poem? Do we have yes, time please. for that? Yeah. My life, my life, my very old one, my first badly healed desire, my first crippled love. You had to return. It was necessary to know what is best in our lives when two bodies play at happiness, unite reborn without end. Entered into complete dependency, I know the trembling of being, the hesitation to despair, sunlight upon the forest's edge. And love, where all is easy, where all is given in the instant, there exists in the midst of time the possibility of an island. Reminds me of John Donne, that famous No Man is an Island poem. Mm-hmm. But then maybe some people are islands. That's exactly it. You know, some people do live that sort of hermetic or isolated life, and that's what gives them happiness, yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming in today.
uh, thank you for listening to my terrible French pronunciation <laughs> such forth, yeah. I'll see you again next week. Yes. And that brings us to the end of this week's show, and it is sadly time to say goodbye. But The Cube featuring Fabian Yoon and Julian Quintard is coming up soon, so stick around. We'll be back again at 10 next week here on TBS EFM. Have a great week, everybody. C'est une chanson. Taking us out is Le Feuille Morte by Iggy Pop. Toi, tu m'aimes. Je t'aimais. Nous vivions tous les deux ensemble. Et...